You are Locked On Cardinals, your daily St. Louis Cardinals podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to Locked On Cardinals for Thursday, December the 9th of 2021. I am Lucas Smith, host of the show. Thanks for tuning in today and each and every day you tune in. Taking another look at the BBWAA Hall of Fame award ballot on today's episode. But this time I'm sharing who I might vote for if I had a vote. And I think you guys might be surprised. I'll also talk about why I left some people off. We did this as the Locked On MLB channel. Uh, We all were sent a link with this year's uh, nominees on it. And we all voted. Um, So I'm sure we'll get those results soon. But I I have my ballot. So I'll release my ballot early from the Locked On MLB um, Hall of Fame voting process. I'll be sure to to have some fun with it. Um, If if it's me voting, I've got some first-timers in there. um, But also I understand... There might be some controversy in who I've got, so we'll be sure to interact as well. If you guys have any thoughts on who I vote for, be sure to let me know in the comment section if you're watching on YouTube. Email the show at lockedoncards at gmail.com. You can DM the show right here. DM me, rather, right here at LJ Fastball. You can DM the show on Twitter and Instagram at LO underscore Cardinals. So when I was looking at the ballot and I was looking at the numbers of people on this ballot, I don't think that there are a lot of first ballot Hall of Famers that are going to get in, but I, I, the way I did my voting is who, who do I think is going to get in? Who who would I put in at some point? Who, who would I put in in 2022 specifically, but also I looked at who might get in. For example, I'll start off with Scott Rowland. Scott Rowland is somebody that, that, that I've talked about a lot on this show. I had Jeff Carr of Locked on Reds join me to talk about Scott Rowland. He was a short-time red uh, late in his career uh, from 2000, late part of 2009 all the way to 2012. This is an interesting case. He was widely regarded as, as the best at his position for a very long time, especially defensively. Um, you know, Only a, a, a five-time All-Star. He's got one Rookie of the Year back in 1997, uh, but also numerous Gold Glove Awards, the most recent one coming in 2010 with the Cincinnati Reds. Um, and I miss book. He's a six-time All-Star, uh, but he also won a Gold Glove for the Cardinals in 2006, Cardinals 2004, and the Cardinals in 2003. Throw in a Gold Glove in 2001 to 2000 with the Phillies, and one more for good measure in 1998, also with the Phillies. Offensively, when you're looking at him, you know, 281 the batting average, but he does have 316 career home runs. OPS plus well above average at 122, slugging at 490, OPS of 855. An on-base percentage of 364. So Scott Rowland, for me, will be getting into the Hall of Fame, if not this year, next year, when you look at the voting trends. And that's something that I've talked about before. Um, on average, he, he's increasing 14%, uh, 14.2. He is He's increased 17 and 18%, give or take a couple decimal points, respectively, in the last two seasons. And if he does another 18-point jump, then that might be just enough to get him in, depending on the rest depending on how many ballots, ballots are filled and things of that nature. So Scott Rowland, for me, will be getting into the Hall of Fame. And to me, he deserves to be in that Hall of Fame. I think he's going to be in Cooperstown, and I would not be surprised. I would not be shocked if he's in Cooperstown this season. But for me, Scott Rowland gets my vote. And the other offensive player that I want to talk about is David Ortiz. 
David Ortiz being a designated hitter is always an interesting case. 286 the batting average, 541 career home runs, OPS plus of 141, OPS of 931. He slugged 552 during his career, an on-base percentage of 380. Played for the Minnesota Twins from 1997 to 2002. And then for the Boston Red Sox for 2003 to the end of his career, which ended after the 2016 season. And this is how he went out. Silver Slugger Award, All-Star, 6th in the MVP, leading the league in doubles in 2016 with 48, led the league in RBIs with 127, also had a 620 slugging percentage and a 1,021 OPS, a 164 OPS plus. That was the second highest single season mark of his career, excuse me, third highest season single mark of his career, and it came in his final career year. He blasted 38 home runs that year. Just He even threw in a triple. David Ortiz threw in a triple in his final year. That's how dominant he was. He, he, he was regarded as the best DH for a very long time. F- five consecutive top five MVP finishes from 2003 to 2007. He was an all-star for every year from 2004 to 2007 and every year from 2010 to 2013. And as I mentioned, one last one in 2016. 541 career home runs is is incredible. The argument against the DH is that, oh, all they do is hit. You have to be a complete player to make the Hall of Fame, etc., etc. It was adopted late and all these different things. But to that I say, hitters don't pitch. Yes, they hit in field, but pitchers only, some pitchers only play one every five days. Yes, you have some players that that pitch in 60, 70, 80 games a, a year as a reliever. But to me, it, it's a very little difference when talking about putting a pitcher in the Hall of Fame versus putting a DH in the Hall of Fame. When, when you are the best at your position, and this is something I talked about the other day, when you are the best at your position for an extended period of time, let's just say 10 years, which I would argue David Ortiz from 2003 to 2013, if you wanted to push it up to say 2004 to 2014, no matter what, no matter what 10-year stretch you use, pretty much anything post-2002, and even in 2002, he had 20 home runs, 75 runs driven in with the Minnesota Twins. But post-2003, the numbers say he was one of the best DHs in all of baseball. Injury a little bit in 2012, only played 90 games, but still was very durable throughout the most part of his career. So to me, David Ortiz should be a Hall of Famer. He was a championship Caliber player as well, winning it in 2004, don't want to talk about it. Winning the World Series in 2007, as well as 2013, don't want to talk about that one either. But the truth of the matter is, he is a three-time World Series champion. The heroics speak for themselves when you think about Game 4 of the 2004 National League, or excuse me, American League Championship Series. The heroics in 2013, which I don't want to talk about, but some I'll have to. He he had a flair for the dramatic and is arguably one of the more clutch players of all time. David Ortiz belongs in the Hall of Fame. He was so good at hitting. He was so good at hitting home runs. Like I mentioned, in his last season, at age 40, his age 40 season, he had an OPS of 1,021. He slugged 620. That was not the only time he slugged above 600, by the way. He also slugged above 600 in 2004, 2005, 2006, 2007, and 2012. Above 600 slugging percentage, that is remarkable. Hit above 50 home runs once in 2006, arguably his best season. 
He was a, routinely over 35 doubles. He had over 35 doubles in 2003, 2004, 2005, 2007, 2009. He had 35 doubles. 2010, 2011, 2013, 2015, and again in his last year, 2016, he had 48 doubles. He was an extra base machine. Man could flat out hit with the best of them. One of the best DHs of all time. A career batting mark of 286. It's pretty solid. You throw in the fact that he had a slugging percentage on his career for 552. It's pretty solid. And I understand there could be an argument, you know, possible tied to steroids and things of that nature. And I, I, I don't know. I, 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 I just, David Ortiz was just so good for so long. And you know, even when he struggled with Minnesota, it's not like he was absolutely terrible. He had a really bad 1999 with, with some injuries, only playing 10 games. But in 2000, 2001, 2002 was pretty solid. 2000, and 2000, you know, 282, the batting average, slug 446. 2002 had, like I said, 20 home runs. And in 2001, in just 89 games, he had 18 home runs. Um, so I, I still think David Ortiz should, should be in the Hall of Fame. He would get my vote. Uh, the only other offensive player that, that, that I that, that I would vote for in 2022 is Todd Helton. And yes, I understand Todd Helton, course effect, all these different things. But for 1997 and 2013, he had 592 doubles, 369 home runs, 316 career batter. When you play for 17 years and you're a 316 career batter with a slugging percentage of 539 and an OPS plus of 133, that's pretty remarkable. Again, I think he, his best season is often forgotten. 2000, these are the following categories in which Todd Helton led the league in 2000. Hits, 216. Doubles, 59. Runs driven in, or runs batted in, 147. Batting average, 372. On base percentage, 463. Slugging, 698. OPS, 1,162. Total bases, 405. An all-star every year from 2000 to 2004. Top 15 MVP vote getter in 2009 at age 35. Had some down years, had some injuries. 2008, 2012, unkind to him. 2011, you know, definitely tapered off. But when you look at a 10-year stretch, let's go 1998 to 2008. Age 24 season to his age 34 season. On average, he was hitting 28 home runs, driving in 100. He hit 329 during that year, dur- during that stretch, excuse me. Slugged 575, OPS of 1,005, OPS plus of 142. That is a stretch of 10-year dominance, if you ask me. Throw in 469 doubles. On average, he was hitting 43 doubles a year. Extremely solid, and in that stretch of his career, extremely durable. Playing up more than 150 games in 1998, 1999, 2000, 01, 02, 03, 04, 05, 06, 07. And he played 83 games in 09. But other than that, more than 150 games every single year. I understand the course effect has its merit and things of that nature. But Todd Helton was too good for too long. Um, I, I, I just think that he should be in the Hall of Fame as well. The rest of the guys that I'm going to talk about are relievers. Believe it or not, they are indeed relievers. So we're going to talk about those relievers coming up here in just a moment as we continue with my Hall of Fame voting. Uh, But before I do that, I want to tell you guys about Built Bar. There are some incredible, just incredible deals going on at Built Bar from now until December the 23rd. You don't want to miss out. You have so many flavors. You might have a hard time choosing raspberry, mint brownie, cherry, double chocolate, cookies and cream, peanut butter brownie, 
So many to choose from, so many wonderful things. Built Bar gives you that extra fuel you need to bust down those mall doors and battle holiday shoppers. Or if you just standing in line, endless lines that might seem sometimes, Built Bar gives you that extra something to keep you going. Want to cozy up with something warm as well? Dip your Built Bar into a piping hot cup of cocoa. Let it melt a little bit and give your beverage a bit of that Built Bar flavor. Plus, you'll have a nice melty Built Bar to go with it. Be sure to have a couple napkins on hand as well. You can also have some of these marshmallowy treats for the holidays that you might love. You need to get your hands on Built Bar Puffs. They're light, fluffy, and marshmallowy through and through. Different flavors, all covered in chocolate. They taste so good, you won't believe that they're filled with protein, but they are. Go to Built.com, use promo code LOCKED15, L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5, to get 15% off your order on these great holiday deals and great holiday limited time flavors. Once again, that is LOCKED15, L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5, to get 15% off your order at Built.com. The role of a, of a reliever, of a, of a closer, has drastically changed over the years of Major League Baseball. It used to be you didn't have a reliever. You had somebody who pitched in a mop-up role when the starter's arm fell off. You have Cy Young winning above 500 games that will never be seen again. Might, you might never even see a 300-game winner for a very long time. Unless Adam Wainwright happens to win 16 games this year, in which case you'll see a 200-game winner, and that will be seen as impressive as anything else. They're a 300-game winner, excuse me. The role of the reliever has changed drastically. We are exiting, I think, the era of the closer, of the singular closer, and we are entering this era of bullpen matchups. We're entering this area of closer by committee. More and more people, I think, will be going that route. However, when you look back at the era of the closer, you have some pretty dominant names on this Hall of Fame ballot. And three closers that I voted for, that I would vote for if I had a vote, Joe Nathan, Billy Wagner, Jonathan Papelbon. And you might call me crazy for a couple of these, but let's look into the numbers. Joe Nathan, 287, the career ERA. 976 career strikeouts and 923 and a third innings pitched. 787 games over the course of his long career. 377 saves. Led the league in games finished in 2006. The longtime Minnesota twin closer from 2004 to 2011 as well as Texas and Detroit, Chicago and San Francisco to close out his career. But 377, on average, he was closing around 31 games per 162. 260 career saves with the Minnesota Twins, 80 with the Rangers, 36 with the Tigers, and 1 with the Giants all the way back where it started in 1999. He's a six-time All-Star. Again, when you are as dominant as he was for as long as he was, it's hard for me not to put you in the Hall of Fame. 151, the career ERA plus. That's what you look for a lot more in a, in a reliever, as well as the fielding independent pitching of 336, which is pretty solid. Whip of 1.12, pretty solid as well. His war, according to baseball reference, 26.7, but as a reliever, standards are a little bit lower. Joe Nathan, with 377 career saves, should be in. Moving on to another closer that's perhaps a bit controversial um, on off the field, uh, perhaps, but it's the longtime Boston Red Sox closer, Jonathan Papelbon. 244 his career ERA, career war of 23.3. He's got 368 career saves. 
And the, the reason I think saves are going to be so important for these guys is that, as I mentioned, they were pitching for the most part in, in, in an era of closing. When you had a pitcher that was designated for the ninth inning and the ninth inning only, they were coming in with three runs or less unless they hadn't pitched in a week and they needed some work. But they were coming in to get that save. And that save sometimes proved to be elusive because that ninth inning is a different animal. Pitching in the ninth is not the same as pitching in the eighth. It's a different animal, a different beast. But Jonathan Papelbon had some absolutely dominant years. He started out with a 173 ERA plus in 2005 across just 17 games. And then in 2006, in his second place rookie of the year finishing, he had 35 saves, a, an ERA of .92, an ERA plus of 517. That is ridiculous. But an ERA plus of 177. Again, the average for that is 100. Fielding independent pitching of 2.81. That's incredible, especially when your ERA is just 2.44. And while he never led the league in saves, he had more than 30 each year from 2006 all the way to 2013. In 2013, he had 29 for the Philadelphia Phillies. He had 39 again in 2014, and in 2015, he had 24. And in his final season in Washington as a 35-year-old right-hander, he had 19 saves to finish up with 360. Eight, a save percentage for him of 88.2%. Jonathan Papelbon was one of the league's dominant closers for a long time. When you look at save percentage for Joe Nathan, 377 saves. Uh, as my computer is froze, so we'll get back to that. But Jonathan Papelbon, dominant closer in his day, should be in the Hall of Fame. 368 career saves is remarkable. The other closer that I think will get in this eventually Billy Wagner, left-hander, long time for the Houston Astros, as well as the Phillies, Mets, Boston, and Atlanta to finish out his career. Across 903 innings pitched for Wagner, he had a fielding independent pitching of 273, an ERA of 2.31, an ERA plus of 187, and 422 career saves. 422 career saves. That is absolutely dominant. Led the league in games finished in 2003 and 2005. An all-star, 1999, 2001, 2003, 2005, 07, 08, as well as his final year. Let's take a look at that final year. 38 years old with the Atlanta Braves. He was 7-2 across 71 games. He finished 64. He had an ERA of 1.43. He had an ERA plus of 268. That was not even his career high. He had 37 saves across 69 and one-third innings pitched and a whip of .865. That is a dominant, I repeat, that is a dominant final season for Billy Wagner in his age 38 season. Again, maybe some of you Cardinal fans out there that have been around a little bit longer than me have bad memories of Billy Wagner in his Houston days when he played for the Astros from 1995 to 2003. And he was dominant at that time as well. Racking up saves, he had more than 30 saves and 30 or more saves in 1998, 1999, 2001, 2002, 2003, 2005, 2006, 2007, three short in 2008, and then 2010, as I mentioned, his final year with 37 saves. That is dominance. That is absolute dominance. 30 saves was, was kind of the mark, if you will, for a dominant closer, getting 30 saves a year. He got 30 saves a year many, many times, as I mentioned. Left-hander out of the bullpen, was nasty, was filthy. The numbers on BaseballReference.com that I'm looking at that I've 
studied, that I've read, those are Hall of Fame type numbers. As a reliever in 1999, he was fourth in the Cy Young voting. He was he received top 25 MVP votes not once but twice in 1989 as well as 2003. He was also top six in the Cy Young voting in 2006 with the Mets as a 34-year-old. Billy Wagner was dominant. Relievers, I think, are going to be more of an interesting case as we look at today's relievers, where saves might not be the, the cream of the crop as they once were. I think now sometimes the, now people are starting to realize that the save statistic is a little bit flawed and how it's tracked and it you know what does it really mean? But when you look at how these players performed in their era, you have a lot of dominance. You have a lot and lot of dominance to think of. So my votes would be Billy Wagner, Jonathan Papabon, Joe Nathan, David Ortiz, Todd Helton, Scott Rowland. To me, those those are all Hall of Famers. And when you're looking at sadly this part of baseball history, you have to look at the steroid era, as there are certain players on this ballot that are very much tied to steroids. And there's a reason I left them off the ballot that I would not vote for them, but that in a way does not necessarily mean I don't think they should be in. At some point, they're going to get in, in my opinion. We're going to talk about it, about Barry Bonds, about Roger Clemens, even Andrew Jones as well, and also former Cardinal Mark McGuire as well. So we'll talk about all those in just a moment. But first, I want to tell you about Bet Online. If you want a way to make money, Bet Online has you covered because they have more props, more odds, and lines than they have ever had in the history of Bet Online. Football season is on its march to the playoffs as well as the college football season. So go to Bet Online right now and find ways to win some money. Bet Online is your number one spot for all the sports action this season. Head over to the new updated website and interface and sign up today at betonline.ag and receive a 50% welcome bonus when you use the promo code LOCKED ON, L O C K E D O N, LOCKED ON, to receive your welcome bonus. Whether it's basketball, football, NHL, boxing, and UFC, or your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. Bet online, where the game starts. In any discussion about the Hall of Fame, especially when you're looking at this year's ballot, it's hard to leave off a discussion about um, Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, even Sammy Sosa, Andrew Jones as well. All all these guys are tied to the steroid era. And the steroid era is is what left some voters or voter um, to, to leave Ken Griffey Jr. off their ballot. Ken Griffey Jr. was not unanimous, even though he could have widely regarded been could have been widely regarded as a Hall of Famer was not unanimous. It is it, it, it's a difficult discussion. It's an interesting discussion because there's a couple of schools of thought on it. One school of thought is, oh, this player cheated, they should never be allowed in. There a counterpoint to that is that there are cheaters in the Hall of Fame now. Why are you punishing certain players? I'm not saying that's what I agree with. That is a thought process. There's also a, a, a school of thought that says everybody was using steroids in that steroid era. So everybody was really on the same playing field. No need to punish any more players. Let, let them in. To that, I say 
you don't necessarily know that. Again, players have their testimonies, and it, I'm not saying that nobody was using steroids. I'm not saying only the people that I got caught were using steroids, but I'm just, that's not my favorite, mostly what school of thought. My line of thought is that time heals all wounds. And with Barry Bonds specifically, Barry Bonds was on a Hall of Fame track before he started using steroids, before he started getting huge and hitting 60, 70 home runs a year. Barry Bonds did not need to use the steroids to be in the Hall of Fame. Now, does that automatically think he should get in? No. It's just a point that I'm making. He did not need the steroids to get into the Hall of Fame. That is, That could be considered speculation. Like, like, I understand that. But I think at the end of the day... It's really hard to have baseball's hit king and home run king not in the Hall of Fame for different reasons, and there are different types of discussions. And we can have those different types of discussions. I understand that. But I do think that Barry Bonds will get in. I think at some point, whether it's this year on the writer's ballot or it's years from now on some committee, Barry Bonds will be in the Hall of Fame. And from a player's perspective... I've seen a lot of players voice their, you know, over the last over the years, saying that Bonds should be in. Many players have also, current and former, voiced their concerns about how Pete Rose should be in. Time heals all wounds. Do I think Barry Bonds should be in the Hall of Fame? It's a difficult question. It's one that I I go back and forth on all the time. There are certain times, and just, just being frank with you, there are, there are certain times where I'm like, no, he cheated, he shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame. And other times where I'm more the line of thought of, just let him in, I'm tired of it, <laughs> I just want it to be done, let him in. Um, but I, I it, it's difficult for me to think that he's not going to be in, just with the voting trajectory, the way that these committees work. And again, there are certain players that are not in the Hall of Fame that should be. Dick Allen, Ken Boyer should be in the Hall of Fame. There are plenty of players that have went through the BBWA process, the, the writer's process, or have been on committees and fallen votes short and are not in the Hall of Fame. That should be. I'm not saying Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens are the only players ever in the history of Major League Baseball that are not in the Hall of Fame that should be. It's still... It's a, it's a different discussion when you talk about Bonds and Clemens. Let me know what you guys think. What do you think? Should Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens specifically, or especially any of these guys tied to heavy steroid use, be in the Hall of Fame? What do you guys think? Let, put a comment on the YouTube channel. Put a um, DM on Twitter at LJFastball over the show at LO underscore Cardinals on Twitter and Instagram. Email the show, LockedOnCards at gmail.com. Let me know. Let me know what you guys think about the Hall of Fame topic, what you guys think of my ballot, who did I leave off, who should I put on there. Um, just let me know. Uh, so this is one episode of two today. The other episode that will be dropping a little bit later out this afternoon will be me reviewing the ballparks that I've been to. I've been to 13 Major League Baseball stadiums. Yes, Bush Stadium is on there. I'll be doing a detailed review of my experience at each and every single one that I've been to. So be sure to tune back in a little bit later on today for that bonus episode. Um, this has been a fun one. I, I like. I, I enjoy talking about the Hall of Fame. Hall of Fame should be exclusive. It should be hard to get in. It should be the absolute 100% best of the absolute best. So it should not be easy. Just because you had a good career, those are sometimes it's a fine difference, but sometimes there's a great difference between being a good player and a great player. 
And even sometimes, there's a difference between being a great player and a Hall of Fame player. So I enjoy this discussion. I enjoy having different schools of thought on it. So let me know what your schools of thought are on anything that I've discussed today about the Hall of Fame. Um, be sure to tune in to the next episode talking about different ballparks that I've been to and my reviews of those ballparks. So until I talk to you guys next time, be sure to stay safe, stay well, and have a fantastic rest of your day.